Hello and welcome to Arrest All the Mix. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? Welcome, thank you for listening. The weather this week is pills, thrills and belly aches. We've got a massive guest coming up, Sean Ryder. What a joy to get to talk to a true rock star, a real pioneer of the Manchester scene of the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Frontman of Happy Mondays and Black Grape needs no more introduction because the stories are all out there, but we're going to dig a bit deeper and talk about his creativity, where he's from, how he feels about the music now and the rest of it uh, as Black Grape get ready to set off on a fresh UK tour, starting 15th for the 3rd at Cardiff Tramshed. Lots of other dates, go check them out, um, head over to blackgrapemusic.com forward slash tour to buy the tickets. They're on at Rock City in Nottingham on Saturday 16th of March. The Welly Club in Hull, Thursday 21st of March. The Plug in Sheffield, Friday 22nd. Corn Exchange in Bedford, Saturday 23rd. Sub 89 in Reading, Thursday 28th of March. The Mill in Birmingham, Friday 29th of March. Um, O2 Academy, Islington, London, Saturday 30th of March. The Garage, Glasgow, Thursday 4th of April. Liquid Room in Edinburgh, 5th of April. The Lemon Tree in Aberdeen, Saturday 6th of April. And that wraps up the spring tour, so go and get involved. There's still... Fired up, still producing great music, as you'll see on the most recent album, Pop Voodoo. So I'm excited about this one, I've got to admit. Sean Ryder has definitely got more important people to talk to than me, but lo and behold, it gave me the time of day, and here we are with an episode for a rest on mix. So cheers for listening. Quick thank you for the sponsors, illustrationweb.com. Illustration and animation agency representing a lot of worldwide talent, from mural artists to lettering specialists to fashion illustrators to editorial illustrators it's all going on uh, and a great news section taking you behind the curtain on all those projects go and check them out illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk tech and digital sponsor providing fantastic hosting domain names seo advice social media advice they're a well-rounded friendly company supporting you and getting you up those google rankings so go and have a look at those guys heartinternet.co.uk Foilco.co.uk, last week's guest, go back and listen to that fantastic episode and a a real in-depth, long-form insight into what these guys do, which is servicing the graphics industry for over 30 years, offering the largest range of hot stamping foils in all sectors. So basically the shiny stuff in your book covers, your booze, your whiskey bottles, your magazines, the stuff that makes it look really sexy, nice and shiny work. Um, that's really dumbing it down, but they are great and they will they will take you through the professional back end of it and really break it down and make it simple. Collaborating with independent designers, bigger agencies, they, they run a great face-to-face business model, really, just friendly guys. And they do great events like Multiplicity, the next one coming up on the 2nd of May 2019 in London. So keep an eye on their channels for that information. And they collaborate with all manner of fantastic designers. Malika Favre, Jim Sutherland, uh, Graham Wood, they're all out there. I've seen some awesome collaborations. Mr Bingo recently did a wonderful one. And Mark from Superfried. So check them out, foilco.com. VAOI.com, the Association of Illustrators, representing the illustration industry with business advice, contractual advice. They do fantastic events on professional practice, freelancing tips. They're just a great bunch of people. Uh, They also do the World Illustration Awards in conjunction with the Directory of Illustration in the States. VAOI.com, happy to help you out there. That's enough of the business. Thank you for listening. So... I'm quite curious as to who's listening to this show. Get us your feedback at Arrest Mix. I'm hoping for a few older heads who were around when I could not be because I was too young in the late 80s and the early 90s for the Manchester movement. I want some stories of the Hacienda madness, what was going on at Factory Records back then. If you were a Mondays fan, if you're into the Roses, if you're into all of it, were you a dance fan? It's just a, it's a fascinating era and I kind of wish I was around for it. 
But I'm going to get to talk to Sean Ryder, so it's the next best thing. And I can't think of a better personality to get stuck in with. So big thank you to Creation Management, Joanne Ryder and Neetzi for sorting out the interview. Uh, it means a lot. We're going to get deeper to Sean's creativity. It's a fascinating glimpse with a real much-loved talent from what is arguably Manchester's greatest music movement. A real innovator. We're going to talk about... How he always preferred to set the trends, not follow them. He's going to talk about why they were questioned about their look back in the late 80s and uh, how, in the end, it turned out you couldn't be in a band without wearing an anorak, thanks to them. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about his background, family upbringing, how it was back in the day in Salford, and how um, how they had to be, you know, really trust their own their own thing and kind of learn on the job. So, it's a really interesting look. Uh, one of music's greatest characters. So thank you for checking in. Get us your feedback over at Arrest on the Mix. Big thanks to the sponsors again. Um, and enjoy this interview because it's a real pleasure to have had the chance to do it. So you find me with Sean um, at the Worsley Park Marriott Hotel, of all places, talking about his journey. Enjoy. What, what's he been, 20, 22 years? Have you been great now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1995 was the first, first album. Yeah. So, fuck. 95, 2005, 2005 to 15, 16, 78 to 24 years. Yeah? Are you still feeling good about it? Well, obviously, you won't be going to Australia. Well, better than ever. Yeah, I mean, better than ever now, you know. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're both a lot older and fucking chilled out and wiser. Uh, and we're less stressed, so... And we're not on the fucking uh, hamster wheel and the, the treadmill, so... Yeah, and it's better than ever. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we are. It's actually, I mean, me and him. It, it was like putting on an old pair of cubby slippers with me and him. It was like we'd never been away from it. So how did it come about in the first place? Kermit. Yeah. Well, really, we were smack buddies. You know, I mean, we was junky brothers, and uh, he was also in the ruthless rap assassins. But because we was both smackheads you know and we, we used to you know spend a lot of time scoring and stuff like that I mean the thing about that is when you come out of that usually you have nothing in common with the people you know at all except you know the drugs I mean the thing about me and him is we still you know got uh, a lot going on with each other yeah from deeper so we hooked up really I mean when the Mondays came to an end and I was doing the last Mondays album I, I didn't do the vocals and I didn't write the songs in Barbados. I had to do it in London because I didn't get anything in Barbados. I wasn't into what he was doing. It didn't turn me on the music. We was with the wrong producers and I just couldn't work. It was it's, the music has got to do something. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mean, if you, if you, if you that, that last album that we that I wrote, I wrote that really with absolutely fucking no interest in it at all. It was just a job, yeah, to get some lyrics for that. Yeah. So anyway, I brought him in to do some vocals on the last Monday's album, and we finished the band soon afterwards, and me and him jumped straight into Black Grape. And then I was on a plane to the states sorting out the deal. So it was really quick. Yeah. Did it? Did you feel like it remedied what had gone wrong with the Mondays? What you well, had, what really, you... the first Black Grape album should have been how that last Monday's album was. You know, yeah. there was some ideas, a lot of ideas and things that are used on that. And, and with Oak and Fold producing that, 
instead of Chris and Cena. I mean, no disrespect to Chris and Cena, you know. I mean, you know, Talking Heads are amazing, Tom Tom Club are, you know, but they wasn't right for what we was doing. We'd we, we come to a way of working with Oakenfall, which was really quick. You know, we crossed over from doing, like... The thing about Pills and Frills was Bummed and, and Squill and G-Man are your really indie albums. You know, we wanted to cross over and go right up the top of the Pops charts, you know, and make a a more commercial album, you know, to to sell and, you know, to, to go to the next stage of being in a, your musical career. So that's why we did that sort of album as well. And not working with, uh, with Oakenfold, I mean, because Oakenfold, nobody really knew who Oakenfold was. When we did that first, album with Oakenfold. Oakenfold wasn't known how he is known now. You had a few trendy people in London who knew who he was, a few of the trendies in Ibiza, and if you happen to read certain DJ magazines, right, you might know who he was, but Oakenfold wasn't this big name, he'd never produced an album before. When I first went to Tony about him doing the album, and Tony's going, who is it? So I told, he's a fucking DJ, we can't have a DJ doing this major <laughs> album, you know. It, it just so yeah and what had happened was it took off the album went straight up the charts did the next thing Oakenfold and Osborne are being everyone wants them fucking you two you name it they, they wanted so when we come around to doing the next album it was like well yeah we'll do it but you just we've got to finish all this work off mm-hmm. and the rest of the kids in the band was going we shouldn't have to wait we made them yeah. you know what I mean it, it got, so we took Chris and Tina and it wasn't working and yeah so that's it I ended up in London making that last Monday's hour and right into that brought Kermit on board it fucking f- failed badly and me and him set up like great it, I've always admired you know there's never been there seems to be looking from the outside and never seemed to be any fear with, with making creative decisions whether it's switching black great whether it's what you did with the Mondays is that a part of you as a person have you always have you always just embraced what felt right and rather than trends Oh, I've never... I mean, fuck me. I mean, as far as trends, it's concerned, we fucking made them, not followed them, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, I was saying before, when we, you know, when people start... I mean, we'd get... This is the early 80s, 1980. We'd have people coming from London and, you know, they'd come and watch us in... in we to be on a Delphi Street in Salford and they'll fucking warehouse there and they'd come down there and they'd, we'd... we'd sort of playing what we was doing and then the first thing they go well you've got no image and we go what do you mean we've got no image and you know we had trainers on and hoodies on and you know fucking lacoste or whatever and we think yeah that's that anyway and they go you've got got no image you know you need to be like by George or culture club and and this and that and and Norton had the same thing when you go to Liverpool and we'd go well you know it's just fucking image, and you know. I mean, obviously, you could probably see people looking like us if they went and walked around their streets, but they just didn't see it. And then a few years later, everybody you know, couldn't be in a fucking band if you didn't have an anorak on. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it, isn't it? This is, I mean, that's that's it, though, isn't it? With any kind of trend, you've got to be at the start of it. If you're not doing your own thing, what matters to you? Then you kind of it's not it's bollocks, really, isn't it? Because it's, you're doing it on well, following else, trends with music is just the worst thing you can do, really. Yeah, I mean, to... there's two different types of people that do that as well. I mean, if you, you really... I mean, look, 
Boogie on the Mondays, none of them was professional musicians. We all learnt to, they learnt to play their instruments. I mean, we got on vinyl way too early. We only got on vinyl and making records through the, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. No, I mean, we was nowhere ready for being on vinyl. But because of Phil Sachs, who, you know, grew up with Wilson and Mike Pickering and Rob Gretton, and then when we hooked up with Phil at his fucking market store that we used to hang around, you know, we hooked up at Phil, and the first thing Phil did was go down and see CRM lot and say, I want, I want these making some records, put them on factory, and they did. And I'm having to learn to write songs while I'm going on fucking making vinyl, you know yeah. what I mean? And and they're doing the same, learning how to play bass while we're making records. We're way too soon, but, you know, you're not going to turn that opportunity down. No. But you've got to do, you know, but I suppose I get so... I, so when I, I'd only ever work with that sort of guy who just picks something up and learns it. You know, working with professional musicians is totally different and it can be a lot easier really easier and then in some ways it it can sometimes be less creative but then there's obviously these brilliant professional musicians who are just the dog's bollocks but you sort of get those sort of guys when they're in bands and 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 because they you know they're brilliant musicians you get them sort of guys that will put on a the the trendy jeans this week and then next week they'll be like oh well we'll we'll go out like new romantics you do get some of those sort of just chasing to not just be a session, but being a, a band. Before before the band, I'm I'm interested. I mean, am I right in thinking your dad was a bit of a musician? Musician. Well, my dad. I mean, my dad could. My dad played. You know, self-taught. You know. I mean, I grew. You know, the royal family. The the you know Caroline. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Well, our house is a bit like that. You know. I mean, my dad's banjo had come out and the accordion. Yeah. I mean, my dad did the. He did the. You know, the the, the working men's clubs. The Irish. Uh, Irish clubs and the folk clubs. My dad did all that, and then he also dabbled in in comedy. You know, uh, I mean, he never. You know, I mean, he was. Uh, you know, he was trying to. He was trying to make. I mean, he actually got beat once in the Manchester United New Search for a Star by uh, a twelve-year-old Lisa Stanfield. <laughs> wow. You know, but no blow. I mean, he never became a professional musician, but 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 uh, in terms of being around that as a kid, do you think that played a part in I mean, a bit of fearlessness in terms of you being prepared to have a go and learn on the job? Well, I don't know about that really, because I mean, I'd never thought. I mean, I grew up with music, like I said, you know, but I grew up with music being all, you know, I mean, it was. In the sixties, I mean, you know, I'd be going to school, and, and the wonderful, fantastic Tony Blackburn would be on playing all these amazing records. You know, mm. when when the Beatles had fucking the White Album out, whatever was the single of the day with those guys, and all the great music that came through in the sixties and Motown and everything. And then I had, you know, there was a uh, eleven in my auntie Mary's family and five in my auntie Winnie's family. They was all girls, and they had. I got all their musics, you know. So there was like. Scar going on, you know, Elton John going on, and fucking, uh, you know, Captain Beefheart going on, you know, and all in the same house, you know, with different yeah. people. So I got to hear all types of different music, but I'd never thought about being in a band. It just wasn't, it, it just wasn't there, that, you know. I mean, the only way I'd ever, the first time I thought about this is what I was doing was when I went to the movies to watch Stardust, with, uh, and that was the day. And Stardust with David Essex, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they probably are the best 
really smokes rock and roll about you know a kid being joining a band and making a band and getting into the business. I mean, you know, it was it was made in 1973. That was the day. Stardust was made in 75. I watched them both when they came out, and then they started putting them on together around about 75 as well. And I'd, I'd go and watch that, and and it was like I'm having that. Yeah. That's what I'm having. You know, I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to do that. And that's really what then put me on the path of yeah to be in a band. And I like, I like. I've heard you describe yourself as a scally, which I like. And, um, and well, I mean, other people describe <laughs> us as scallies first. I mean, scally was. I mean, scally now is a, is a sort of a, a national saying, but I mean, scally was just a, was a Liverpool phrase. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then, I mean, I, I, us lot. You know, I mean, you had the you had the uh, what was it called? Casuals was London. We was Petty Boys. Scousers was scallies. You know, I mean. But it all meant it was all based on the same thing, you know, this street yeah. dress. But in, in terms, of, I'm thinking I'm fascinated by Tony Wilson and um, the influence he had on not just your music, but that, but that whole scene. And, and am I right in thinking he's someone who appreciated all of that? Didn't want just the good bits, but would appreciate the character, the way you look, well, everything that you represented. Tony, what what got Tony to us and what Tony was interest, interested with us. It was about us. It was about how we looked, how we acted, how we was. We was more of a little gang to him than, you know, a bunch of musicians because, you know, we wasn't really musicians. We was just more of this little fucking gang and and that's what attracted Tony to us in the way that, you know, we, we looked and, you know, carried ourselves and behaved and, and, and he saw an art in that. Mm. You know, he saw that as, as art. Yeah. You know, and then adding, you know, the guitars and the instruments and being in the band was the bonus to him. Mm. You know, he wanted. Uh, I feel, I personally feel the lack of that today. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of sterile stuff out there, and I think I wish there were a little bit more. Because you've got, I mean, okay, you've got the kids doing the drill music stuff, and now that's getting blamed for all this knife crime in London, which I think is total bollocks. Well, again, look, it was, that happened with fucking teddy boys, didn't it, and rock and roll. They're always going to do that, and then the yeah. stones come along, and everyone's a delinquent, and this and that, you know. They go, like, that has always been, isn't, that isn't new. That's just how it is, it's you know. video games and kids in America. But it is, yeah. surely that comes down to a lack of self-expression and a lack... You, you know, with the music and, and having a scene like that, surely that is creates a positive outlet for... Any kind, anything you want to call scally or whatever you might want to label it. Well, like, yeah, let, let me do here. this one, right? Gucci, 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 I want money, I want money. Fuck the feds, I want money. Diamonds, Gucci, Gucci, that's that record, Gucci Mane, whatever it is, Gucci. If trouble we have with them kids is, yeah, you know what? They look really artistic. It looks like a work of art. They don't fucking know that, right? Because most of them guns are only interested in money, right? Money. Mm. The thing that we left out with us was we made money from somewhere else, right? Being the actually getting into this game, into the music business, we didn't care about money. We wanted to be in there. Money was the only thing we probably left out because we just didn't think. You know, it was just like. We was just doing this for nothing because we, we was doing it, you know, and making it. We wanted to make it. We wanted to be on top of the pots. We wanted to, you know, sell a million albums, but we didn't think money. But a lot of these 
the mumble fucking rapper brigade, it's just, you know, money. I mean, what, you know, I mean, more than anything now, what are they fucking writing about, the, a lot of these youngers? We've, they've got something there, and you're privileged enough now to be in that game, and what are they writing? You know, I've got a million dollars, I've got loads of money, I've got a Bentley. Mm. It's fucking bollocks. It is, it is. And... You know, but, again, at the same time, there's still great young artists out there. Brilliant ones, you know, they really are. Yeah, I just wish there were a bit more support for them because I think it's sad that today, 2019, there's still a lot of drop balls in terms of not everyone's fit for that academic system or whatever and and kids who are into music, budgets get cut and then youth centres get shut down and you're thinking, come on, there's more to life than fucking exams and pressure and all the bollocks that kids have to deal with today and it just pisses me off. Well, again, I mean, look, you can just fucking blame the Tories and their old way of fucking thinking and how they think on education, mm. you know, and, you know, I mean, a bunch of people that went to uh, public school, you know, at the age of seven and, and the way that they was taught, and realistically, and look, if you look at us on the Education League with all the European countries, we're right down there, and Finland and all these other ones who have an absolute different way of educating. The way that teachers want to educate kids, right? That's what's winning it. But these dickheads are making us be making kids be taught like this, and and it's not obviously not getting through, and it will never that way. No. Have I heard you tell a story before that because you were left-handed they tried training out of your school? Okay, I, look, a Catholic school in the 1960s, you picked up your pen with the left hand, that was a mark of the devil being left-handed. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, look, they, they, special needs didn't... wasn't in the fucking vocabulary, you know what I mean? It was a word that's saying that nobody had heard of and didn't know what it meant. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, anything from dyslexia to ADHD, you know, you was a fiddler, you know, or unruly or whatever, because they just didn't know that, you know, they just didn't fucking know. And, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, my mum worked, she was what you would now call a teaching assistant. Mum, and she worked with the nursery classes in the nursery class. And my mum at the school I went to when I was a kid, she had enough sort of Paul and, and friends to keep me in a normal school. Because if I'd have gone what they then did have instead of special needs was what I can only describe as the loony school, mm. right? You know, uh, and if you went in that, you really was labelled. You didn't. You wouldn't get a job. You know. You would be sent to the pig farm and you know emptying buckets of slosh, mm. you know, or whatever. You so you know. So I had a you know I didn't have a really because of you know dyslexia and other, so you know I mean what kids just you'd fuck about don't you and then it becomes crowd control. Yeah. At class at school. That's what it is with people like that. The learning difficulties. It's basically crowd control because you know you you just doing mad things yeah whereas you put them kids in a space where they can you know play music make art whatever it is that they're interested in yeah but you see the only reason they don't do that and they know all that and they know how to do it but that just boils down to money that's all it is that's just money you know yeah what about the visual side of it because I work in graphic design and I love all of the album artworks single sleeves Um, 
what involved, you know, Central Station did a lot of, or all. Well, they're family. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't not have them do I come from a family where you've got to give family. I mean, my advice to anybody is fucking mixed business and pleasure, you know, because I've gone through that and, you know, it's, you, you do it, you know, you give your dad a job because that's how he was brought up, you know, but it's, it's not fucking easy. No. But what involvement did you have in terms of the art and stuff? Did you was that? I left that to my cousins. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean that's it. But I didn't look. We let them just go away because that's what they do. They're art. They, you know. Yeah. They went to art college. <laughs> you know they're artists. Let them do what they do, and they come back with a load of shit and go right. There's that. There's that. There's that. What do you like? Like that one. Okay. Brilliant. Simple process. That's it. You know why? <laughs> You know, why get involved? You know, in, in anything else, they wouldn't get involved in what music we're writing or anything. No, so and it works. It's amazing. I mean, I, I think it's a fantastic set of uh, album covers. I really do. I mean, the thing now today is you've got a whole firm set up at the record company, right? Doing graphics, it costs them nothing, right? Uh, you know, so. A lot of the time now, I mean, it's like the last album we just did. That wasn't done by Matt and Pat because the record company can do that in their offices with their graphic artists, right, that are on a weekly wage or whatever, monthly, right, and do that album cover and dunk it out in a fucking day. Yeah. You know, and it costs them nothing. Mm. So, you know, that's got... I mean, you know, there's no... There's certainly when I... 20 odd years ago there was a lot of waste in the, in the game and the music business and, and, and there isn't anymore so that's a good thing yeah and songs so, so, so the book's coming out soon they, they brought for luck yeah I'm excited about this how yeah. do you feel about seeing everything brought together well you know what you read a lot of songs when they're on paper and these might be amazing when you're listening to them but when you read them, they look fucking ridiculous or not good. <laughs> I mean, mine actually look better on print when you're reading them and interesting more than they do actually when you're listening to them. You know, so I like that. But, I mean, that, well, the book's down to my mate Luke Brain Sludge. I mean, Luke wanted to do it. Uh, he's a guy that did my autobiography with me as well. I mean, I don't know if you know Luke. You know him. I know of him. I know of right. him. So, I mean, and Luke wanted to do the book. And I basically left that to him. I mean, he picked songs that I wouldn't have picked. You know, I just wouldn't have picked them. And then we'd have a discussion and I'd go, oh, you twat. Okay, go on, you can have it. <laughs> but all the sort of writing in between and everything else, I just said it. I just wrote the lyrics and, and said it. And then, you know, everything else was, was down to him. What about the writing? I mean, with the writing process with Black Great, is that very different to what you no, were with the Mondays? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, with the Mondays, I'm on my own for start. Mm. I mean, with, with Black Crib, I've got Kermit. We bounce off each other. I mean, we, we work exactly the same way, and our influences, and my influence, whether it's Mondays or Black Crib, is still the same old shit that it's ever been, you know? What's on the news, what somebody says, what I hear, yeah. you know? And my job as a songwriter, I mean, the story about my songs as well, what I write, is it really meant for whoever's listening to them or reading them for their own... I do it in visuals. It's all words for visuals, for, for seeing up there. So whatever anyone's listening or reading this, whatever pictures they get up there, then that's what the song's about. I mean, what I do, just for example, right, 
okay, let's say I've heard call the cops, you twisted me melon. I'll go, right, I'm having that. Yeah. All right? Call the cops, you twisted me melon. And then, you know, Bez says to me, oh, get some cheese out of the fridge. I go, get some cheese out of the fridge. I like that, right? right? And then somebody else says, fuck me, this is shit. Fuck me, this is shit. <laughs> right, I've got this. You know what I'm going to do now is I'm going to connect all that and make it into something that sounds like they're all connected. And that's what I do. It's just being responsive to what's going on around you. And too many people are like that these days, looking down at their phones and missing all that great stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, Kermit as well. I mean, Kermit's big on comic books, you know, so we basically sit across from each other like Last Smith and Jones and just bounce shit off each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, that last that Black Grape album, which is what we're now out promoting, uh, that Black Grape album took us... It didn't even take us two months to write, record, produce, you know. So we worked really quick. I can't see... I can't deal with anybody taking... How they can spend a year making an album or whatever. It's just... Yeah, madness. <laughs> no, or, or a year on three tracks. No, that's a long time. And you're on the tour as we speak. Not starting. I've got to fuck off to uh, Australia next week because we're in. I've got a Monday's tour in Australia, so we're out there for a few weeks. And then when I come back, we uh, finish the Black Grape tour. <laughs> then we're out on something else that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> It's great that you're feeling good at this stage of your career, you know. It sounds like you've put a lot of negative stuff behind you and you're, and well, you're negative in a good, stuff good, comes good creative place. Negative stuff comes with, 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 also, with being young, you know. I mean, the bullshit and the bollocks that, you know, can split bands up, or friendships or anything, when you're young, is just trivial cack. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is just bollocks. And, 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 and then, you know, finding out who you are, you know, I mean... And by the time, you know, you hit 56 or your 50s or whatever, I mean, you should have really worked that out, you know. So that's why I'm happier than ever now. Things are better than ever, you know. It's just... I mean, if I was running around now, you know, do you miss this? I'd back in, I mean, I'm probably more busy now than I've ever been. Yeah. But things are a lot easier. But, you know, I started the band at 18... So do what you did at teens, travelling about and doing that. And then when you're in our 20s, you enjoyed that. Then you hit your 30s, he enjoyed that. Even though there might be some bad, dark moments and, you know, and, and long, addicted, druggy periods, you still, you know, I'm still in in my musical world bubble, mm. you know. I mean, most of the kids that I came up with, you know, you know, they, they are dead and have been dead a long time and or, or you know, are doing 21 years in prison, you know. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I've been lucky enough to go through bullshit in uh, in my bubble of being in the music business. You know, I mean, even, I mean, I had, I was in receivership, that went on for 14 years, where 100% of your income gets took off you, hmm. right? So they take that off you, now you can earn, and they want you to earn, because they get all the money. And it's hard to get out of. It took a long time to get out of that, which I don't know if you know, it all started over something really stupid, like me getting rid of my managers. They got awarded 100 and something thousand. I wouldn't give it them. Uh, You know, I mean, I could have paid them off at fucking £10 a week, but I wouldn't do that. 
Mm. And you just wasn't getting anything because I didn't think I should. And then the receivers are coming in and the receivers, well, that turns into millions. It really does. They take everything from you. You go on world tours, they take that off you. The only reason, you, so you're smart, you, you think, well, anywhere else you'd go bankrupt. But you can't go bankrupt because if you go bankrupt, then you lose your PRS, your PPI, you lose your publishing, you lose everything that's connected with your songs. You never get them back. So it took a long time. I mean, it took until really 1998 to 2010. Went into the jungle in 2010. I was still in it. By the time I'd come out then, the lawyers that was doing it had got me out of it. The deal was done on a golf course to get me out of it. Then it took, it took another four years to pay the lawyers off because you have different lawyers you have to have tax lawyers and the lawyers I mean the thing is you get all that money took off you they take all the paperwork they take 100% of your income then when it comes round they go well you've got to pay the tax on it how the fuck can you pay the tax on that if that's all to, it's a real corrupt fucking system that's these bad. you know these are the biggest fucking robbing bastard gas the cunts going you know I mean they, they knock on the door and want to know how I was paying the rent or I would pay me electric bill. You know, because you shouldn't be paying that. That's brutal, isn't it? You know, so, and then they hide how much you owe, and every time you find out later that these figures would come down, then the next thing they send out a letter, and then that letter would then they charge you interest on that, send it out. So, you know, yeah. a letter that they sent out costing fucking 90 pounds could end up at thousands. I hope you've got some good lyrics out of that whole experience. Well, the thing about that, what that did. <laughs> Was I mean I went dry. I got writer's block for years. I mean, can you imagine that, right? Any man, woman, you wake up tomorrow and your bank account's frozen, and the only money you've got is what you've got in your pocket. Anything in the bank's gone. Anything, everything, and then any jobs that you're coming up, you're not getting paid for. So then you're wiped out. Hundred percent income, nothing. I've seen men after a fucking week on the knees right so you know it does do something to you yeah I mean I'm not bitter I'm really not but uh, you know I my writer's block fucking blocked up to fuck yeah so but yeah did that give you extra fire coming out of it when you when you got past the worst creatively well I mean like you know it's funny with writer's block because it goes like that and it comes back like that yeah. I mean, like, you can work, even with it. I mean, I did that Monday's album in 2006, Uncle Dysfunctional. Wrote that with writer's block, so you can't... But it's not, you know... Production-wise, it's brilliant. Yeah. But lyrically, it's it's garbage. How are you feeling about the live Black Grape stuff? You still enjoying it? Black Grape, I enjoy more than ever. I mean, it's, you know, it's brilliant. I mean, like I say, it's, it, one, it's new... You know, we've not been at it, back at it that long, so it's new and exciting, you're doing new stuff. But it's like the Mondays, they're both better than ever. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a cliche sort of thing, the sex and drugs has gone now, and it's just the rock and roll. And, and all of us, when you're young and you're just on the treadmill, I mean... No, I was, you think, I was thinking, you know, you know, no wonder you get fucking in yourself, people get in situations, because, you know... Album, 86. Toured, two years. Album, 88. Toured it, two years. Album, 90. Toured it, 
two years album. Yeah. Right? It's a conveyor belt. And then you're doing that and doing that and doing that. So as a youngster, it's amazing what the human body and, and, and we can do. You just take it for granted and do it. It's not until years later, you, you, you know, you sack everything back and you go, fuck me, have I got a bit, a bit of post-traumatic stress? <laughs> well, it's understandable. You know, so, I mean, it's so, you, you know, I mean, but that's the game you're in, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's just it. I mean, the reason we're working still now is because of what we did back then. So, yeah, and you do a hell of a lot. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm excited about the tour, and uh, and it's just so good to see you still doing it now and enjoying it. Well, I can't do that else. <laughs> that's the thing in it where life is in this game. It's funny when someone says, you know, because because now we have a completely different audience. The thing is, since me and Bez went into doing reality television. And, and, and a lot more TV, then your audience becomes... You pick up a whole different audience. So now when we do festivals and even, you know, venues, the audience can go from eight years old to 80. Yeah. Because you get all the grandmas and granddads that watch these shows, you know, as well as the young kids. I mean, so it's a, doing these shows... I mean, I, it was a pure business decision why I went into the jungle, you know. I mean, think about, you know, you, you you come out of that and you basically use the TV things to then, you know, everyone wants to, you go now and, oh, well, well, let's have a look what this music is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you get a lot of that. I mean, I'm sure that's why you get, I'm sure there was a shed load of kids that didn't have a fucking clue Tom Jones was until he went on The Voice. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Paul McCartney went to the Viper Rooms not long ago and they didn't know who he was, they weren't going to let him in. It's crazy. You know, that's Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you do you do these sort of shows, and it picks up a whole new audience and a whole lot of people into your music. So yeah, it works out great. So now it's more you know, as you get older, you get more easy yourself. You're not a fucking tortured fucking artist, motherfucker. So you know, it's uh, it's easier and more enjoyable. But yeah. you are on conveyor belt when you're young. You just do it and do that, and carry yeah. on, and just do it. Just that personal interest. I'm a massive. Damon Albarn fan. I kind of grew up with his music. I yeah. was, I was, I was collaborating with him on there. Yeah, I mean, Damon's, you know, it was, I mean, pretty damn simple. I mean, you know, I mean, I did give him his only number one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really. I mean, it's like basically, I went in to do that. I mean, I what? It, I mean, I, I went. I go back a long way with Damon. Yes. And. Uh, when I walked into the studio, and this is how that happened, I put the can. Damon wanted me to write up, you know, to go writing. I was, I still couldn't, you know, I was blocked still. And I put the cans on, and there was nothing in there. And it started turning up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, it's there, it's there. <laughs> and he went, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I went, Good one for me. That's going back to what you said about you know best saying something about cheese in the fridge. Yeah, it's just yeah. just catching that moment, isn't it? Yeah. Which is. I mean, it's like that happens a lot in music, isn't it? I mean, lots of stuff that's become really, really big has been made through mistakes. Yeah. You know. That's creativity in general, isn't it? It's just being switched on to what's mm. happening and how you're feeling. Brilliant. Well, the last question that I ask um, on this podcast, I ask for a love and a hate about your creativity, where you are now. Well, I love my creativity. Now, one, you know, I always used to say when I was younger, dude, once you hit 40, that's it, you're finished. I mean, rock and roll music, 
You look at the Kinks, you look at the Beatles, you look at the Who, uh, when they write their best stuff, and it's when they're young and in the 20s. Yeah. Right? Rock, rock and roll, pop news, whatever you want to call it. It's made by youngsters with that energy, and, you know, by the time you're 40, you're not going to be writing anything. And I really believed that, you know, and then... As I got to that age, and then as we, you know, now, and like we did do black, I thought, well, that's a load of bollocks, isn't it? You know. <laughs> so, you know, happy. I'm, I'm happy. What, what can I criticise about now? Uh, what can I criticise about now? Uh, nothing really, you know, I'm just a moody old cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, that's been an absolute pleasure, Sean. Nice appreciate, one. Appreciate Cheers. your time, mate. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers, pal. Thank you so much to Sean for taking the time to talk to me. Like I mentioned before, um, he's surely got bigger people to talk to than me, but he is a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Very genuine, very nice to, to speak to, to be honest. Uh, it was a very relaxed interview, and I do apologise for the little bit of noise interference and the tapping on the table. Sometimes when these conversations get passionate, you don't realise, and uh, then you have to deal with it afterwards, and I don't really have the audio tech skills to do that. So thank you for persevering with that. Go and get your tickets now, blackgrapemusic.com forward slash tof, starting at the Tram Shed in Cardiff. You'll see all the dates and all the ticket links up there. Sean has also got Rope for Luck coming out, which is a fantastic collection of Happy Mondays and Black Grape lyrics, hand-selected. Uh, as he mentioned there in the conversation, I'm going to be grabbing a copy of that. It's out on Faber and Faber Publishing on the 7th of March 2019. So I'm sure anyone who's a, even a remote fan of their music is going to want to grab a copy. So go and do that. Thanks again for everyone involved. Thanks for listening. Cheers to the sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk, filecore.co.uk and the Association of Illustrators over at theaoi.com. Get us your feedback at Arrests or Mimics. Drop us a little review, please, if you get a moment, and spread the word, because the numbers are growing all the time, and it's a massive buzz for that to be happening. So cheers, appreciate the support, and do keep listening back. You can get the whole archive now on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and on iTunes, all the good podcast platforms, and more than that, whatever your preferred platform is, go and have a look. Chances are it's going to be up there, so uh, get us episode suggestions over as ever. Cheers. I think that's about it. We've got O Street from Glasgow, Creative Agency, coming up. Um... Jane Boy is coming back to the show to touch base on how women in print turned out and her own work, which is going through the roof at the moment. Sean Thomas, Executive Creative Director of Jones North Ritchie, and much more. So thanks again. Cheers for listening. Spread the word. Catch you all soon. Have a good week. See you later.